Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Father, we uh, just want to lift up our brother Wagi to you and Lord Muslim speakers, Arabic speakers all over the world. God, we ask you to move on behalf of your name and behalf of your glory. Lord, we know that you want to redeem lost souls. And so God, we just lift them up to you. We pray for uh, Wagi's effectiveness, for the ministry that's growing, for the, the, the membership here that's in support. Lord, those all around our fellowship, I, I pray God that you would bring in the necessary support Lord, but we just continue to beg you, God, to move uh, in Jesus' name, God, to transform lives. Uh, we love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I can testify, uh, Pastor Wagi came up to visit me. I can't remember how long it was, a month or two ago, maybe longer, I don't know. But, uh, and man, he is just a beast when it comes to making connections, and uh, I, that's a compliment, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we were, we, he drove, he came out and typically the missionary church planter is showing the field and I, I just had no time because Waggy's making appointments in Rhode Island and, and down in uh, Dorchester and just, all, we're like, we are tra- everywhere, going places, meeting formerly Muslim background believers, uh, connecting, opening the Bible with these people and it was incredible, and so praise the Lord for your testimony. I hope that what I've been able to share and what the guys have been able to share this week has been helpful, and uh, as you trust the Lord to move forward in your pursuit of God's mission, it's, I'll tell you just from my vantage point, and I'm sure everyone else would echo this, it's been an absolute pleasure just being here. Yesterday, the panel had uh, asked, or had been asked a question uh, about launch team um, or not launch team and, and how it all worked out. For those of us who went with the launch team, uh, which was you know us for instance, uh, I could share a little bit about that. And, and I hope it was clear from that um, the most important aspect, whether you go with a team or not go with a team, whether you go by yourself or one gets built later, uh, obviously the most important equation or part of that equation is the Lord's hand, the Lord's moving. And so uh, it blew me away. I'd never heard that part of Jeff's testimony. Uh, I don't know if he's still here, but four weeks after getting like, just confirmation, he's, he's gone. Like that blew my mind, but isn't just amazing how the Lord works and he chooses how it's gonna go down, whether it's two years or four weeks or, or your late run to the plane. I mean, it's, it's in his hand. And so to team or not to team, uh, that's God's prerogative. And, uh, but we went with one. And uh, so as the Lord had that in mind, I wanted to share a little bit about our team and just uh, a lot of times they don't get all the fanfare and so, but man, they are, they are my champions. And so uh, let me just show you, I have a couple pictures we put up there. This is my wife on the left and that's Meredith, my wife, and, and she's over here. You can wave if you want to and um, yeah. Brooke Sidebottom, you can go back, because uh, both of those weren't my wives. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
like two-headed woman there, I don't know. Uh, but Brooke Sidebottom, Brooke, where is Brooke? Is Brooke here? There we go, okay, you gotta like, mm, okay. So Brooke Sidebottom, she, um, she came out with us a couple months after we launched, and we, we came right as COVID was beginning, and uh, two months later, Brooke's knocking on our door, and actually, we're so anxious at that point, we're literally like on the porch, like waiting for her to come down the street, you know, as she's coming down, and, and so Brooke comes, and, and uh, my kids, uh, of course, in the next picture, you may have seen them running around the church, Hudson and Amelia. Uh, the toadies, Ron, Rebecca, Isabel, and Tobiah, they were here, just as Brooke was, part of the Midtown ministry for many, many years, and uh, they left everything behind. They left their family, and just like Brooke did, and, and friends, and established ministries, and discipleship, and, and everything else, and, and they moved. It's not like they just didn't have a lot going on here, and uh, you know, older parents, and, and all that, and uh, they just packed up and, and said yes to the Lord. And so praise God for them. The merits uh, were the, the final sort of landing component. And it was just a few months again after we got there. And again, just with bated breath, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, pull it, come on, come on. And, and they get there and, and two nurses uh, left their careers back here. And I remember the final six months before they, they launched, they sold their home. And just to be in proximity, you know, they, they rented out one of these uh, units across the street in these red brick apartment buildings and just, just to be available and so love the merits. These folks carried the water really in ways that I never would have imagined. We kind of envisioned when we first got there that and everyone told us church planting in the Northeast, the, the least churched area of all of the United States, is going to take probably about 10 years to get an effective independent church going. And so we really imagined, especially with COVID, uh, that maybe it would even be more uh, more uh, of slow of a process, and we just thought we'd be maybe starting Bible studies in our home and and uh, just doing a you know endless prayer walks and just hoping we run into people and and uh, and so we did it. And as the pandemic started, uh, within just literally a few months, God had had not just provided that building that we'd already had, but uh, won some people to the Lord. And, uh, and then all of a sudden we've got an opportunity to use the sanctuary in the building. And so we had a church service literally less than five months after we arrived, which is pretty amazing. Now we're not there just to hold church services like your pastors always say, we're not, we're not trying to play house here, but it was a big effective tool for us. It really was, it was super helpful. But I'll tell you, no one on our team of those folks, the, these God-fearing, loving people uh, knew hardly anything about AV. I mean, z like zero. And man, praise God for you guys in the back. But they, man, nothing. And, uh, and I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but um, was that an exaggeration a little bit? No, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, nobody knew anything about instruments or singing. Half our crew, I don't think had ever even seen a diaper, let alone changed one or worked in Kid Town. And, and, uh, and man, right off the bat, we had folks buying instruments in order 
to watch along a YouTube, YouTube video so that they could lead our praise with like a chord or two. Like just no comprehension. Like I, I didn't get guys out, you know, that were coming out like, hey, I think I could help you. You know, watch this. You know, <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. It was like playing, playing, you know, and not Brooke, of course. Hers was more like, but everybody else was just playing, playing, you know, like those toy guitars you get when you're, you're younger. And man, but it was just awesome. One person would be trying to figure out, like, literally, what is a soundboard? Like, we would, we would take trips to, like, uh, the micro center, whatever it is out there, and, and just be like, oh, so that's, that's what that machine is. And, and uh, this is how you hook it up. And, and, uh, and as they were doing that, like, they had to watch the clock because they were going to have to sneak off the same morning or same evening, we meet in the evenings, to go teach in Kidtown. Like, the same, same, same church service. Others would be on the sidewalk, literally right, right before church was beginning, inviting the masses to come in and then, again, have to be watching their, their clock because they didn't want to be late because they had to get behind the microphone to lead our praise that same evening. And so this is what church planning is about. And I just, I love these people. Uh, they are, with all my heart, uh, my favorite. And so I would just ask for you to pray for them as they endeavor to count for the Lord and following hard after him and giving their lives to his work. And so this morning I just want to talk about, and this is going to be a big catch-all. I had so much stuff prepared in terms of being able to talk. And so I just have 21 points, that's all, um, for you. And so it's a lot of information, but we're just going to fly through them. Um, Sam just gave me a dirty look, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so <laughs> we're going to go fast through this. This will be like Alan Shelby's church planning course. You know, we're going to cram an hour and a half of material into 30 minutes. Uh, I love how Kale put it last night, if you were here, referring to this year's Mission Focus Conference as the Honesty Conference. And I, I didn't really uh, consider that in my planning. I wasn't trying to make this like Debbie Downer missions, but, um, but we, we do. We want you to be as prepared as possible, I think, a pastor's heart, we absolutely want to charge you up and fire you up. I think we would be remiss if we didn't do that. It's about building faith, and you ought to be convinced and confident, <coughs> excuse me, that you can trust the Lord to say yes to his mission. At the same time, we want you to have a realistic picture so that you can effectively and properly count the cost. Yes, it will be hard. Probably, and, and Pastor Coker and I were chatting before I came up here, we were talking about this, and he said his grandfather used to tell him it's probably going to be the hardest thing you ever do in your life. But lest we forget, the Bible gives us some really good perspective on that. And Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Man, it's going to be worth it. If not now, I think... I think we just get a head start. Those of you that are fully engaged, I don't mean full vo full-time vocational, I just mean fully given over to the Lord in your pursuits. You know what I'm talking about when I'm saying you're getting a head start now in the joy of the Lord. You're experiencing just like a taste of heaven already, I feel like. Proverbs 8.11, for wisdom is better than rubies and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. And it is wise to get involved in God's mission. 
So here's the main point for tonight. The dynamics of church, or this morning, I'm sorry, I'm so used to preaching at night. Pray for that, by the way. Uh, The dynamics of church planting and missions require that you count the cost and then obey God anyway. Okay, there's no more time for us to count the cost and then pause to reconsider it and set it on the shelf and come back to it a year later. Joshua 1.16, you see, after the charge that the people were given, that Joshua gave, it says this, and they answered Joshua, unlike their, their parents, saying, all that thou commanded us, commandest us, we will do. And whithersoever thou sendest us, we will go. Now this is after he gave them the very hard charge to be strong and have courage so they'll have good success because he knew that the battle was going to be there. So without further ado, here are the other things I've learned church planting. This isn't comprehensive, but uh, number one, it's genuinely hard work. And that Sometimes I hate to say the word hard work. It's just work. Sometimes what we do is not hard, but it's exhausting. It, it can be uh, taxing on you. This is not a vacation. Missions, uh, it's not missioncation. Uh, and I think sometimes, often short-term missions, although, man, you, if you're considering and praying about it, you ought to, you ought to just do it. But sometimes, uh, if we're not careful, and we get past the envisioning and the excitement and the adventure just how dreamy the field is, and, and, and why, why wouldn't they be? Why shouldn't it be? Sometimes on a short-term mission trip, though, even a mid-term mission trip, you, you don't get the full perspective, right? I mean, you've, you've literally taken a vacation from your job. Now imagine going on your short-term missions trip, but then also having to log in to work every morning for eight hours, and then meet us up that night for coffee and hang out till 12, 1, 1 in the morning, taking people home and doing this, and then getting back up at six o'clock to log back on and get on the Zoom meeting for your boss who's screaming at you and cussing you out and all these things, and, and that's your mission trip, right? And, and so sometimes it's, it's not maybe realistic. That's not to say don't do mission trips. You ought, we better do mission trips, and I hope, hope that we're all considering that, but the minutia, the details, oftentimes can be a little bit taxing. The work is hard. It's a grind. And where you're, you as, as the church planter or the, the missions team, you might not get to go around and see all the sightseeing and, and hanging out that those visiting you do. And I've had several people come to me and, and over the last two and a half years or so, like, oh, you haven't seen this thing? Like, well, no, I had other stuff going on, and, you know, and they're going around seeing all the sites, and praise the Lord. I, I want people to be able to do that. But as you consider, if you're going to be part of a church planning team or a missions group, it's not all sightseeing and days at the beach and things like that. We, we have a day at the beach, by the way, but uh, it's not all that. And so you have to find out how to pay your bills while you're out there. You've you got to find out how to raise your family, and if you're going to subject them to the public school system that you're at. And, and, and all that while still move the mission forward, whether you're getting to do all the fun stuff that you did on your mission trip to wherever or not. Okay, so sometimes it's hard work. Point two, loving your field is not the same thing as being in love with your field. Okay, you, you gotta get this one. Some of you, if I ask you right now, uh, you would have a field in mind. And praise the Lord, I, I pray that you keep cultivating that in your heart. It's important. 
And whether God ends up confirming that field or not, <clears throat> excuse me, that's a different story, but I think God uses that still. I mean, in my journey, I don't have time to go all the way through it, but I had serious plans at several points in my life to consider the fields of Brazil. I was ministering to some Portuguese-speaking people up in the international student ministry, and then at one point, Caracas, Venezuela, and then a long period of my life where I was considering France, and then when I was here at Midtown even, I was praying about going into the Northeast, and I don't mean the Northeast, I mean just the Northeast, like Northeast neighborhood of Kansas City, and and sometimes that's just because, you know, you love culture and the peoples and maybe the ideals resonate with you. Maybe you learn the language. Maybe you're from there. Maybe you just fit with those people. But sometimes God puts you in places where you, you don't fit. You never dreamt about it, where it takes an hour to commute three miles. Or people flip you off as a form of a salute for obeying traffic laws or where the weather is hard and, and the people are even harder and, and the women cuss worse than a roughneck on a shipyard. And <laughs> Despite all of that, if your heart is for God's work, meaning the people and God's word, none of that will matter to you. And you know whether you end up ministering on a beach somewhere or in a hut in the frozen tundra, it's not going to matter. It's all going to be worth it. Point number three, learning to be a good teammate is invaluable. Some of us are just not naturally wired like Barnabas. I mean, the Bible story does counter that with Paul, right? And so Barnabas, you know, son of consolation, probably born out of the need in his own life to do that. But encouragement, I'll just tell you, is, is so important unto one another. And when, especially when you're this close, I don't care if you're going alone or with a, a team, you're going to be really close to those people that you're working with. I mean, all the time. And emotions can end up ruining the day, either for good or bad. And so you, I don't care if you're the, the pastor or just part of the team, and I don't, I don't say that in a diminishing way, but whatever your, your role is, you ought to be working to foster an environment where you control your own emotions in a positive way, it's so needful. You yourself will need encouragement and your teammates will also need encouragement from you and don't forget that. And yes, even your pastor needs encouragement desperately and so practically just make plans, have humility, be gracious and be in prayer and be flexible. Number four, your identity and security must be found in the Lord. Not your performance, not success, not relationships. When you first come, no one will know you. And, and in the beginning, you know, depending on where you go, there might be a lot of fanfare where you go. And, but slowly those check-ins and all those, all those text messages and <clears throat> trips every other month, and they start to fade and slow down and and sometimes it's just you. And maybe it's your family with you. Maybe it's your team. It's easy. It can be easy to feel lost. It's easy to feel lonely. And if you're not careful, you'll be tempted to run to the wrong things for your security and for your identity. And so for you big church folks, and we've got a lot of big church represented in here with a lot of ministry activity, 
I know, I've been there. Your identity can be wrapped up in ministry. When you land, if not all of the roles exist yet, what do you mean you're not starting Bible studies yet? You know, with this and that, and you're not, these things. And if not all that's there, you could feel empty if your identity is wrapped up in the function rather than in the relationship with God. So if your identity and your security is in whether you're going out with your friends X days a week or participating in this many ministry activities or whether you can have all the touches with all the things that are important to you, and I don't mean just ministry, let me, let me just get carnal, maybe it's just stuff, maybe it's being able to go to the restaurants or live a certain way, or maybe it is just special things, really good things like ministry or family connections or friends or having quiet time space. Be warned now that God may just decide to allow you to not have those things for a season, maybe indefinitely, to prove whether that he is enough or not. Point five, support your leader. You ought to support your leader. Focus on ways it's been done and replicate that. You got to work to mimic that, how you've seen it supported before, how you've been supported. Our team has done this so well. I'm so thankful, praise the Lord, my wife, for Brooke, all these folks that I mentioned to you. Praise God, whether it's supporting my family and our kids, giving 110% to the ministry initiatives. We had a, <laughs> I can just hear, hear the, the two grown men up, up there on the screen. You know, we had an FOI dance party uh, recently. And uh, I mean, come on, like, you know, nobody can dance. And we've got like 50 international students out there. And, and so I'm just going crazy, like I'm Michael Jackson out on <laughs> the dance floor. And I'm, I swear there is video. Uh, and I'm just, the threat is church discipline, if that ever comes out. And so, um, but man, like, we do things that like, we don't want to do, and, and these guys are right there with me, just being able to bounce ideas off of. And you ought to be there. You ought to be able to support the vision your leader gives you. With that, beware of side projects. You're going to be tempted to, to go off reservation because nothing's going on. And I'm not saying that you should ne- you just stay in your box all the time, but just beware. Beware of these things. Be an encourager. God hates murmuring. Note, you just ought to get this down. God will work on your pastor if you let him. God will work on your pastor if you let him. Okay? Now, if you don't let him, he may just work on you. That's sort of the Bible's uh, lesson on that. Point six, pastors and leaders, be humble. God loves his people, even when they aren't at their super spiritual, you know, your super, I get it, you know, because pastors, super spiritual and all that. But even when they're not there, right, we have to have God's heart for those he cares for and has given you the care for and exhibit love and grace. The temptation, the enemy wants us to consider ourselves righteously indignant when things don't go our way or when the vision isn't followed or when things, whatever. Everyone's not on the same page, but when a team member is working through something, we ought to be gracious, we ought to be humble. We ought to be like our Lord is to us, amen? If you're not careful, what 
we as leaders and pastors end up doing is jumping to Luke 9.54, Lord, wilt thou, we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did. Instead, we need to be like God's friend Abraham was and have compassion on our brethren, painstakingly begging God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. God often slows me down. God often redirects me as I'm working through this. Point seven, communication is key. I think there's another, yeah, so, this didn't make my notes for some reason, but God will work on your church members and your team members if you let them, too. And so it cuts both ways, right? Uh, we want, as pastors and leaders, like, oh, if, if the people would only just trust God with me, you know. But we need to do the same. We need to trust God with our people, amen? Communication is key, seven. Be clear, be responsive, set a clear direction and remind people of it often. Point eight, you will feel at times, this is my wife's, I don't know where you got this. <laughs> you will feel at times like you're riding a roller coaster through a car wash. And um, it can be a lot different for every person, but that's, I don't know, maybe you'd steal that. Like, that was genius, but, um, and my wife, but it does. Sometimes you're just like, you know, like with the windows down. I mean, you're just running through the car wash, getting slapped in the face by the soapy, whatever that thing is, and, and then just, right, you know, right as soon as you get out. And, and it's different for everybody. Not everybody processes everything different and, or the same, and so... But he'll use this to clean you of unneeded things and grow us into who we need to be. It's worth it. Nine, family dynamics cannot be overlooked. Ministry is extraordinarily busy when you're church planting. I can't say that enough. Especially if you find yourself bivocational. Maybe not especially, but I can only speak to that. With a small team, depending on how God moves, you got to be careful not to let your spouse and your kids get lost in that work. Otherwise... Let me just tell you, that's a big F. Fail. If you succeed in the ministry and lose your wife and kids, that's like failure. Okay? On a massive level, what legacy are we really leaving if we fail in that area? And I'm not, this isn't just me harping on it, like you know, my, my pet thing or whatever. And, because here, here's the thing, here's the reality of our testimony. All it does, if you let your wife and kids fail because of your lack of investment, is prove that the ministry was just about you and about your self-aggrandizement in this life. How people saw you here and now, what you think you had to do to perform, rather than how it brings Jesus glory. Moses failed in this, to circumcise his child. A whole generation ended up being lost. I mean, that was the result of it. And so what is our ministry if we lose our family? Ten, don't be intimidated by your field or its people. We, we were tempted to do this, all these folks going around to Harvard. Remember one time there was a testimony, one of the guys out there with us, and he, we're on Harvard's campus, and, you know, like the best university in the whole world. And, and uh, one of the guys walks up to this, one of these kids, and like, so why'd you pick Harvard? And the guy's like, it's Harvard. Like, you know, duh. And, and that's kind of the mentality. Harvard and MIT are out there, but don't get intimidated. I love how Andrew put it. He went to the Harvard College of Ministry. 
And uh, Harvard's actual college of ministry is a joke today, so I think what we've got here is way better. But don't get intimidated. We have the Most High as our commander. He's our CEO. He has educated us. He's given us everything we need. And the most educated, sophisticated people you will run into without Jesus Christ are still lonely and broken and hurt. We run into that every single day. And that ought to give you confidence, not that you're better than them, but that you've got the answer. We've got the answer that people need. Number 11, pray for your Jonah moment. Or I should say prepare for it. Don't, don't pray, don't ask for it. But there may be a moment in time when you get to the field and for whatever reason, you don't want the people you're ministering to to repent. I'm not going to go into the details, but there was a moment when we first got there where the culture and the rub of everything going on and, and how they were investing in my kids, and, and I'm not, this is not a joke. Uh, my son's kindergarten or first grade teacher, okay, was a witch, okay? I mean, like a medium. She advertised it like as a business on the side. This is what she did. And, uh, and they were doing pride parades through the halls in elementary school and, and uh, pressuring everybody on social media to have their kids make posters. And, and you know, so my kid was going to be like, like we just landed. He's already going to be on the outs and, and not able to relate. And, and man, I had a Jonah moment early on where I, mean, I don't even, even like these people, let alone love them. And so be prepared for that. Allow God's heart to break you for who you are. Just, I don't know who said this the other day, but I think it was Jeff, just a beggar who found bread and showing other beggars where the bread is. Twelve, money's just a tool. Don't be insecure whether you get called to Jackson, Mississippi or Manhattan, New York. The value of the dollar is irrelevant to what God wants to do. You senders, you ought to consider that too and just keep that in mind. 13, expectations. Everyone's are different. Just like a marriage, year one could be difficult. Might be longer than that. And genuinely, you're trying to blend two cultures together, sometimes more than that. Sticking with it is key. You're, you're bringing multiple personalities, sometimes from different areas, into a new field. So be, be ready to manage expectations, your own and other people's about you. Prayer's vital. 14, specific prayer will help sustain your heart for people in the field and keep you focused on the big picture and what God cares about. Having a prayer team in your sending church or at large is crucial. And so is Andy here this morning? I don't know if Andy's here. So we've got a prayer team here, praise the Lord, and a lot of the churches that support us. I know there are dynamics in place that are similar to that, praying for us. Thank you guys. Keep that up and be praying for your missionaries and church planners. No, it just as a church planner, as a missionary, I'll tell you, knowing that I had people, as Cale said the other day, holding the rope. I mean, as I'm, as I'm leaning out over the cliff, I mean, you know, that's where that expression comes, right? Like, the guy at the top is your, you're repelling, like, ooh, it's a, a little, little shaky at first, you know. But you you got to take the plunge, and, and you're just out there, like, over the cliff's edge, it's really, it's confidence bringing when you know somebody's holding the rope and it's a strong group. 15, as you're able, trust the Lord to take care of business before you get to the field. Things like life insurance, your credit, bills. I'm not saying you've got to be, you know, wealthy or anything like that. 
and uh, you know, a bastion of good health and past hell week, you know, Navy SEALs and you know, just all that kind of stuff. But man, just try to take care of your business before you go out because uh, there's not a lot of time when you get there to do that kind of stuff. Have a thankful heart, 16. Trust the Lord for contentment. 17, you ought to understand the reality of the four fields, and this is more of just a ministry tip. Uh, those four fields that Jesus describes in the parable of the sower, it'll re- I think it'll really be helpful if you can understand and embrace that dynamic where you're meeting each particular person and how you're moving that needle each time you sow a little bit more seed. As you understand from the scripture and other comparing that with other scriptures, how the Word of God actually begins to cultivate the soil of men's hearts. You could find a guy who's in rocky soil and in time he's got soft ground. And so be prepared for that and understand it. You might work with people that uh, blow you off and six months later they show up. And uh, God's been working on them somehow through the Word of God. And so uh, just know that reality. Be prepared for it. It can be humbling. 18, uh, 19, be prepared to be under a microscope. And I mean the whole team. Your marriage will be under a microscope. How you raise your kids or don't raise your kids, your preferences, the clothes that you wear while preaching, uh, the clothes you don't wear while preaching, uh, whether you do your nails or not. uh, People notice everything. These are things that people have talked to us about. 20, preaching is not pastoring. And that's for the pastors and also for the team members. You, you might have just your favorite pastor, like, man, I wish I was in that guy's ministry. Oh, you've got no clue how that guy pastors. And so uh, just be prepared. Preaching's not pastoring. It takes time sometimes to meld together and bring hearts together and trust the Lord for that. And lastly, sometimes you'll be lonely, and I think sometimes you'll wish that you were alone. Just be prepared for that. And uh, we can trust God all the same. Here are three final charges. Pray for God's heart. We talked about that a couple days ago. Pray for humility to appreciate no. And then pray that you would reckon, despite all this stuff, that it is worth it. We've got to go, my brothers and sisters. We've got to be doing this. Amen. So, all right, I think that's it. We've got another church panel or a... We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.